Welcome to Next in Q, the podcast for contact center and customer experience professionals. Next in Q is brought to you by Happy Q, your service team's personal coach, giving them the process, resources, and insights to deliver the perfect customer experience over the phone. Learn more at HAPPITU.com. Now, here's your host, Rob Dwyer. Welcome, everyone to another episode of Next NQ. My name is Rob Dwyer, and today I have the distinct pleasure of being joined by Bunyaman Kankurli. Bunyaman, welcome to the show. How are you? I'm doing good. Thanks for having me. I know we, we talked and then finally it's happening, so I'm, I'm excited to kind of talk about uh, several things. So yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah, me too. So you are currently a site director at Concentrics in Jacksonville, and we're going to talk a, a lot about your experience there. But I want to, uh, like I do with all my guests, learn a little bit about where you are coming from. So you are not native to the United States. Where are you originally from? Yeah, that's that's a, a good and, and an interesting way loaded question. Uh, because uh, I, yeah, I'll explain what I mean. But I, I was born and raised in Belgium, western part of Europe, uh, in a city called Ghent. Um, but my my grandparents moved there from a country called Turkey. So, um, and this was happening somewhere in the '60s, '70s, when kind of the western part of Europe was reviving its economy, and it was inviting what they called guest workers from multiple places, or you know, from North Africa to to um, uh, East East Europe, um, Asia, the Middle East, et cetera. And so my grandparent was part of that group to come to, to Europe to, 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 to be a guest worker. The idea was to, to stay there for a couple of years, make some money and go back. But um, I want to say majority of the people who, who, who came there didn't leave. <laughs> so um, they, they stayed there. And of course, at that time, <clears throat> those countries welcomed them and made everything possible for them to stay. And so I'm kind of uh, the next couple of generations coming from that offspring. So I was born and raised in Belgium, um, you know, all the way until I was uh, 23, I believe, around around that age, 23, 24 maybe. And that's when I moved to the States, my first interaction. But that's kind of my background a little bit. So a very kind of a diverse upbringing because of that, because the city I grew up in had a lot of other people just like myself that where, you know, their grandparents had at the time moved as guest workers from all over the world. So um so that's why i said earlier it's a loaded question because it's it's not as simple as you know a one a one location and then to make it even more complex i decided to move to the states right after that so yeah. um make it even more interesting but that's kind of in a nutshell my uh kind of where i'm from and, and a little bit my background yeah so uh you started working <laughs> in belgium before you moved to the to the u.s so what was what was your first job that you were doing while you were in belgium yeah, so um, you know, I I wasn't go good with school when I was uh, when I was uh, much younger. I, me and school, we didn't get along quite quite well, unfortunately. And so I decided, I decided, or my mom decided, uh, if you're not going to go to school, you better work. But you're not going to do just nothing. That's not happening, right? So um, early on, at the age of 18, I started working at um, kind of a, just a factory, very hard labor work, humble beginnings, I should say, but. Looking back, definitely appreciative and, and must-needed experience for me, honestly. Uh, but started working at 
a factory where we would make carpet yarns, working with bobbins, extreme hard labor, I should say, and did, did that for a couple of years. Uh, obviously started realizing this isn't really um, my forte or something where I feel like I'm adding value, making a difference in one way or the other. So after several years of doing that, started to look in elsewhere, um, found other jobs that were still kind of uh, relative labor work, but until I bumped into more of the contact center work uh, several years later. So um, I'm not sure if the company name is still the same, but at the time it was Mobistar, a company called Mobistar. Um, it's like a telecommunication company, just like we would have Verizon and AT&T and stuff like that, but for Belgium, of course. And so I started, that was kind of my first um, step in that world of contact center work to really understand um, how all of that works. Um, and then I did that for maybe a year, maybe a year and a half before I moved to the States. And that's why when I moved to the States, <coughs> I knew I wanted to kind of stay in that same world in that same space because it's something I enjoy doing, something I could see myself growing and, and things of that nature. So that's kind of, in a nutshell, my work history uh, with, with very humble beginnings, I should say, yeah. Yeah, and like a great many uh, leaders in this industry, you started as an agent right? Uh, taking those phone calls. And then even once you moved to, to the US, uh, you got your start at uh, what was then known as Convergis. Today, it's it's Concentrix. <coughs> and uh, you were uh, doing what, tech support? Yes, yes. So I started uh, entry level um, within at the time called Convergis, the company name. Um, and it was um, in the technology vertical, um, and, and, and I was one of the tech representatives solving uh, complex technical issues for, for our customers. Yeah, that's, that's, that was my introduction to Convergence. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Now, uh, how is it that you came to the U.S.? Yeah, really good question and interesting story. I'll try to keep it short here. Uh, oh, we got or, lots or of time. Yeah. You, you know what? I'm going to go all in then. Good. You opened a can of worms there, but uh, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Um, so, um, mainly because of my wife. Um, so me and my wife, we met in 2008 in Belgium. She was born and raised in Belgium, just like me, but she's, she was mixed. So her dad was from the U S and mom was from Belgium and, um, but she was born and raised in Belgium. Um, long story short there, just to explain it a little bit more, her dad played basketball in, in college and in the NBA in the U S for several years. And then he moved to Europe because he wasn't getting enough minutes is what he told me uh, when he <laughs> was telling me my stories, but he wasn't getting enough minutes. And so he, he moved to Europe, had a really successful career in Europe, actually, and in Italy in particular. Um, and so he then started playing within different countries within Europe um, and kind of towards the end of his career, settled more in Belgium. That's where he met her mom, eventually stayed there. And, and so she was born and raised uh, from that, of course. So, so um, I say all of that to say, when we first started dating, she kind of made that clear. Hey, look, my plan is eventually, I don't know when, but I, I would like to move to the States. And I remember first time hearing, the, hearing it, I'm like, yeah, whatever. You're not taking it serious because I'm thinking, what am I going to do there? You know, I don't have any friends or family. I mean, I'm so used to being around, you know, the people that I know. So it would be quite an adjustment for me. So I, I didn't take it too serious. Um, looking back, maybe I should have. Um, but, uh, <laughs> but, you know, so that's kind of how we eventually then it became, our relationship became more serious. The conversations became more serious. And, and, um, 
I, I'm kind of by nature uh, an adventurous person too. I like to be in uncharted territory. So it kind of fit well in, in the puzzle. I know a lot of people try to talk me out of it and, and they meant well. These were close people who just, you know, they, they had good intentions, right? But they just felt like I'm not going to make it. Like, this is going to be a tough situation for me, you know? But, and maybe that fueled me <laughs> to say, what? I can do this. This is, what, what are you talking about? So I, I kind of took that leap of faith, took that um, chance. And, and good thing I did, because a lot of good things came from that, obviously. But that's how we eventually end up coming to this stage, really not with major plans and, and well thought out strategy, <laughs> but just kind of more so following, you know, my, my partner who really wanted to live here and, 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 and me not wanting to stand in the way of that and just saying, you know what, let's go. Why not? Let's try it. Yeah, that's really awesome. <laughs> you know, when we were getting started, uh, just be, just before we went live, you said something about not not doing podcasts every day. Uh, but you are no stranger to being on video because of your partner. T tell us a little bit more yes. about that. Oh, you did your research. I see. Okay. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. So my wife, she's um, she, she's like a YouTube vlogger. She does a lot of um, uh, videos, really around just life in general. Tries to document or record her life, but of course, a lot of video. Uh, around makeup and hair tutorials and stuff that I have no clue about, honestly, um, foreign to me, I should say, but, but there is a portion where she'd record kind of our, our life and then the kids and then kind of our situation part partially also because if people want to move to the States that they can kind of see how that journey really is as well. So I think it's, it's useful. It's good information from that standpoint, but she does, she does more than just that. And yeah, sometimes by default, I have to get in the videos too. And then, you know, even if I, on days I don't feel like she'll say, you know, she'll push me and I don't want to, you know, upset, upset her. That's, that's not a good uh, strategy as for a husband, for any husband. No. So, no, yeah. So, so I, of course, you know, participate as much as I can probably could do a little more, but um, so that's kind of my interaction level or familiarity with, uh, with being on camera um, through her. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, Anytime that you're maybe sleepy and just on camera is that? Yeah, you know, she, she likes to keep it very authentic. So there's not a lot of let's prepare this and let's talk about this. It's just the camera rolls and I just, I'm expected to, <laughs> to just, you know, just be me and then just kind of um, do what I would do even if the camera wasn't on. So, so yeah, we, uh, we have a lot of fun with that. Yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. So tell me about this move to Florida. So, so when you came over, you came uh, to Orlando. What, yes. what was the biggest surprise for you when, when you were first kind of getting settled in, in Florida? Oh man, that's, that is a, yeah, that's a good one. And as soon as you ask the question, I have like 5 million things that, that go in my head and, and I'm thinking, which one, which one do I go first uh, with? Uh, I mean, obviously serious cultural changes between Europe and, and, and Florida. Um, uh, everything is much bigger. Always everything has to be big in the U S or so I'll, I'll speak around Florida, the, the roads, the, the food portions, the, everything has to be big and then fast and everyone needs to have something. And in Europe, it's <laughs> You know, in Europe, it's, it's in Belgium, in particular, it's much slower. People just take how much they need. 
not how much they want. And it's just <laughs> things happen in smaller sizes. You know, you see like, for example, the car sizes, right? The car sizes are big here relative to what you see in Europe. They're like, you have a lot of smaller cars, cars compared to the roads. You know, it's just much bigger. It's just, yeah, everything is bigger. It's, it's, it's uh, as vaguely as I can put it. But um, other than that, um, of course, um, the health system, healthcare system is very different uh, in, in Florida than it is in Europe. As you know, in Europe, where I'm from, it, it's, it's, it's more universal. It's, you know, uh, more than half of the stuff is free and the other stuff, when it isn't, it's very low cost. Usually, of course, in the US, especially, you know, I have kids now and I have un underwent surgery myself a couple of years ago. Uh, I'll, I'll say it's not cheap. Yeah, even with insurance, yes. So, so that's a big difference. The educational system is different too. Um, I do like the educational system in the in the US or in Florida, I should say, much better. Uh, yes, it's much more expensive, absolutely. But I somehow I do think you you get your money's worth in a in, in a lot of instances. So I do like the the educational system from that standpoint uh, more. And, and I think I have the luxury if my kids aren't smart, they go to Belgium to school for university when they get older. So I still don't have to pay, right? I probably will make you. Make, <laughs> I'll make use of that. So, uh, or if they have talent in any sports, to get a scholarship, I guess. But um, those are some of the. And 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 this is a, might be an interesting one, but I I feel that in Florida, and and some people in the U.S. might disagree with me. Uh, uh, but my frame of reference is is Europe or Belgium. People are more friendly here. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, at least from my experience, that is, people are more friendly. Uh, we'll, we'll say hi, we'll recognize your, exist, your your presence, that you're there, ask you how you're doing. And yes, you know, they, they might not really mean it and, and want to wait for 30 minutes to hear how you're really feeling, but it's, a, it's, it's just a, it's an etiquette. It's, it's being polite. It's, 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 it's just part of the routine, I should say. It still is important that it happens. Uh, in Belgium, I, I, I don't get that a lot. You know, I, uh, mm. uh, and, and some of it is because, of course, there, there's a history there. Uh, especially in, in in Belgium, where I'm from, unfortunately, a lot of uh, second class citizen treatment happens to people like me because we're not original, right? We're not we yeah. have blonde hair, blue eyes, right? Unfortunately, so so we do we do. There's a different treatment, and some of it, of course, stems from that. I'm, I'm fully aware of that, obviously. And in the U.S., I see less of that. I feel like, um, at least in my experience now, you you watch TV, it's going to be a different story. Everyone is terrible, but. From my day-to-day -day life experience, I, I um, if I have to compare, um, I mean, there's there's a lot of work to do here, I'm sure. Uh, but if I have to compare, I feel like uh, people are more friendly, just generally speaking, here. Um, I think those are the big things that come in my mind first. If you give me a day to make a list, it'll be a very long list because there's <laughs> there's quite quite significant differences between the two. So yeah. it was. Yeah, I had to adjust and adapt. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, it's a really interesting perspective that you bring. I mean, I, I absolutely understand what you're talking about with the sizes. I've I've had this conversation, um, particularly around food and, and drink, especially. Um, yeah. <laughs> in the U.S., our drinks, like, <laughs> I'll never forget my first time outside of the U.S. and I ordered a large soft drink and it it's like a kid's uh, size in the U.S. And you're like, oh, that's it? Yeah. Absolutely, that's, yes. That's the difference. Um, one, of, one of the big differences for sure. So tell me about your experience in, in 
moving from an agent to a team leader? I, I would imagine that was your first kind of leadership role. And so what was what was that transition like going from an agent to all of a sudden now supervising agents who were doing the job that you were just doing the day before? Yeah, I, I think it's, you know, looking back, it's, it's, it's probably one of the more significant moves, even though that, that might sound strange because you would think, well, you've been a manager, you've been a director. And, but that move, I believe, is one of the more significant moves because it goes from being about you to all of a sudden it goes to being, it's about everyone else around you now. And I think that shift is so critical that you really work on that early on because that's, I believe that's going to decide your success that's, that's to come. And so that shift was really interesting from that standpoint on. So you really, like I said, you go from it being about you, you perform, everything is good, no questions, no, no worries, no, nothing, to now you are responsible of others and it's now all about influencing, not necessarily executing for yourself. Yeah. And so that is, that is the, the, the main thing that changes and that I, I was no exception that I, I, I experienced that as well. So I would say that would, that would have been the, the main change and, and, and adjustment that I think anyone makes, honestly, but yeah. Yeah, it's a big move too in that, Right. As an agent, when I'm done for the day, I'm done for the day. I can just check right. out. I can go home, be with my family, whatever the case may be. Once you move into that that team leader role and and on up the chain, I mean, yes, you can you can detach from work and to be really successful, you have to find ways to do that. Yeah. But but work follows you wherever you go. Yeah, you know, it, it, it truly is. And it's, it's, it's very similar to when you're in a relationship. It's, it's just about you, about you and your partner. But then when you have a baby, all of a sudden, your perspective shifts. And it, it's no longer really about what you want. It's about what needs to happen so that this child is successful. And so it's very similar in that sense when you're in, um, in an organization where you make that shift, that your perspective needs to change as well. Because it is, it is no longer about you. It's about the people around you. And it's, it's a very similar shift. And I always, you know, um, I always say this quite often, but, you know, um, it's, it's, the question now becomes, do you want to be right or do you want to win? And when you can ask yourself that question, I think then you're on the right track. Because it really is all about winning. It's not, it's not about me wanting to be right. So, and then, what it really means is your, your focus shifts to winning and making. And what that really translates into is the people around you need to be successful because as a leader, when you're winning, that, that means or should mean that your team is, is winning, right? So, so I think this is, it's a big shift in perspective going from uh, entry-level employee, individual contributor to being a, a leader that, where people report to you. It's a, if, if you, again, if you don't pay attention and you don't shift that focus, shift that perspective, stressful times are waiting for you. Let me just say that, honestly. So, yeah. So you had, it's interesting to be, I mean, you had a couple of significant things happening about the same time. So 
Yeah. Uh, right around the time, I believe, of your first child, you were also then moving away from Florida. So, so tell me about the chaos that is <laughs> having a baby and then uh, oh, moving man. somewhere very different than Florida. And you said very different. I know why you use the word very, right? I think everyone's going to know why, especially if you're familiar with the U.S. But that was definitely, you know, chaos is probably a good word to describe um, because not only I was going to a new location with a new baby, but also it was going to be new in the role on a new program that we're launching. So a lot of new, 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 a lot of unknown, unknown. But honestly, just looking back throughout my career, every time I had those moments, it always reminded me back to when I made the move from Europe to the to US, where I'm going into that uncharted territory. I might not have everything figured out, but I will. Don't overthink. And so I always kind of use that as my motivator as well. To, and, and so that's why the move from Europe to US um, was so significant, because till this day, it helps me when I'm in, in, in those transition moments, going into uncharted territories to, to really remind myself of what I have done to, to even be here to begin with and, and to not overthink, you know, because it's easy to do that. But that was definitely a very uh, challenging transition. Um, everything went great. It really did. But that's me saying it afterwards, looking back. But in the moment, it, it's tough, right? Because um your wife is alone with the baby. She, they, they need support. You know, yes, I need to work and focus on uh, launching a program and, and doing all kinds of things, new in my role, not really know uh, what to expect um, and things like that. So, so it was, yeah, you said chaos. I think, I think that's a good description of, of especially the first couple of weeks, at least, really felt like. Uh, but I believe moments like that is where you really grow and where you really learn and where, where you really push yourself. I think if I stayed maybe in Orlando and, and in my comfortable bubble, maybe I wouldn't be where I am today, honestly. So I think those moments in my career uh, were needed, much needed moments, even though if you would have asked me in that moment, I would have said, oh no, I want to go back. Let me just, let me try something else. This is difficult, <laughs> you know, but uh, looking back, definitely. Um, Yes, tough and challenging, but much needed uh, moments in, in my career. And, and the move from Florida to Kansas was, was definitely one of those moments. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So you moved to Wichita, Kansas, which happens to be my hometown. Wow. Yeah, that's amazing. And yeah, that's, that, that's our connection, right? Yeah. Uh, even, even though we had never met. Yeah. What? What was the biggest, I mean, obviously, right, work, you were doing a whole bunch of different things, but what was the biggest change for, for you outside of work going from Florida to Kansas? Because for those people that haven't experienced that kind of change, it's, it's pretty significant. Yeah. I mean, the change, the first thing that really comes in my mind is, you know, Orlando is very touristic, very busy, a lot going on. There's Every couple of minutes, there's literally something going on, whether it's the nightlife, the, the, the Disney, the Universals, and, you know, I mean, it's just too much to mention. And then you go to some place like Wichita, Kansas, 
it's like time is standing still, um, <laughs> like literally, especially if you compare the two. It, um, things go much slower, um, less stuff to do. I mean, if you, if you want to do something every weekend, you're going to have to start getting creative after two months. <laughs> so, um, but so that, that's the first thing that comes in my mind of difference and, and change. But in an interesting way, and me and my wife sometimes talk about this, we really loved Wichita, Kansas. And, and I know that might be strange coming from someone who, who's lived in Orlando, which is probably a lot of people's, maybe not dream, but desire to live in, in, in a tropical place with a lot happening. I actually did enjoy that, that calmness, that, um, that when things move slow and I can do things at my pace. And, and maybe it was because after so many years in Orlando, that constant, you know, uh, fast-paced life maybe transitioning to that felt good and that's why I'm saying it but I, I actually enjoyed my two was it two two and a half years something like that I believe uh, I really enjoyed my time in, in Wichita Kansas I uh would I go back to, ever to live now I'm pushing it uh, but <laughs> <laughs> but I, I definitely enjoyed my time yeah absolutely yeah it's interesting to me to think about because I uh, my wife and I have this conversation a lot, and that is the desire to be in the city where things are and there are lots of things to do and things are convenient and very walkable. And then that desire to be somewhere where it's slower paced and you can just be outside and just relax yeah. and enjoy some natural beauty. I'm not saying that Wichita, Kansas has a ton. I mean, it's not like you've got beautiful mountains or anything to look at, but yeah. you know what I mean, right? That finding that balance can be a real challenge that I think a lot of people struggle with. Yeah, no, I agree. Absolutely. Yeah. So you launched that program there and that was as an operations manager, I believe. Yes. Uh, and then, and then you took another step forward in your career while you were there. So, so tell us about that. Yeah. So this was, you know, I mean, we, we had tremendous success with launching the program, especially given the context that this was new to Concentrics, and we've done a tremendous job, which which is not easy in the context and the world to launch something that's new to the organization, but still from the ground up, build a really solid foundation where your clients recognizing it and, and saying things like this was the best launch I've ever seen, you know, things, things like that. So I, I think a lot of that success from launching that program that we then eventually build on uh, translated into um, some new opportunities for me. And, and, and maybe, you know, the stars aligned a little bit too, from a, an opportunity standpoint, because uh, not just in our world, but just generally speaking, even in sports and, 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 in, in arts and, 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 in uh, corporate America, it doesn't matter where, uh, that luck component needs to be there too, honestly. Um, and, yeah. and so I think all of that kind of came well together. And there was an opportunity for me to uh, lead the site now. So going from one program to leading all of the programs within the site. And um, uh, I, I had to think about that because I'm a firm believer. Like I, I don't want to speed up my uh, advancement process because I have the opportunity or because I feel like it, you know, I, for me, I'm big on, I need to be, and I want to say this carefully, not that I want to 
that I feel that I need to be ready because you never are. Whenever you, you, you go into a new role, you can think and feel that you're 100% ready, but you really aren't, honestly. Um, so, but at least some level of comfort, some level of confidence that I know I can take this. And I, and I do that because not only for myself, because obviously it's important for me, because why put yourself in a situation that you're going to fail or, or, or believe you're going to fail, but also for, for the organization, right? I, I don't want to take on a role just because it was presented or it, I had the opportunity to then fail the organization. Uh, so, so it's not just bad for me, it's bad for the organization. So I'm, I'm very well aware of that and, and, and conscious of that. So I had to give, give it some thoughts because usually, at least when you look at my career progression, it went really fast, much faster than kind of the normal way of how people would get eventually to the director roles. You know, I, again, I became a director in less than five years with Concentrics, which um, not just Concentrics, but really any organization. I don't think that's very normal or very, um, or that, that happens often, you know? So, um, so I had to be careful with that, you know? Um, it's, it's really not about moving up as fast as you can. At least that's not my strategy. It's about uh, advancing when you know you have a shot at being successful, you know? And so mm-hmm. I had to give that a couple of days. I didn't immediately respond to it, but really, you know, talk to my wife and things like that. And, and made the decision to, 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 move, to move forward with it. And so eventually took on all of the programs on the side to, to manage. And, and uh, that was another interesting um, shift, I should say, as well. Um, yeah. <clears throat> I think one of the things that is really challenging when you are working at an outsourcer and you move up to that level is that now you're not supporting that one business right and it's uh it's another again when we talk about that shift right the shift it took to go from agent to team leader all of a sudden right you've spent probably a good part of your career supporting one business at a time and now as a as a director you're supporting multiple businesses what challenges does that present that you hadn't really experienced prior to that oh honestly um a couple of things you know um one thing is that the pace changes um you unfortunately you you cannot spend much time anymore on particular challenges you have to be you have to be a quick thinker and, and when I say quick thinker, it really doesn't mean just come up with solutions and move on because that's, that's not going to be sustainable and, and, and good, but still valuable in a valuable way, but quick thinking. And so I think that, that was a, uh, one of the challenges I was faced with is, um, you know, you spend too much time on this program, then this program, attention goes down, and, but that can't happen. You spend too much time here, now this. So it's really finding, and I call it the, the rhythm, getting into rhythm in, in that role to be able to manage uh, multiple programs and, 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 and especially at the director level, now it's not even just programs, it's, uh, it's, it's um, your resource groups who, who support your programs. You have to be working with them as well at the same time. So it's definitely from a uh, you know, fast paced, quick thinking, quick solutioning, um, being in multiple places, sometimes at the same time, you know, uh, you know so it's, it, it gets, you know, obviously, what I'm describing is multitasking. Obviously, you know, you, you definitely 
uh, need to be doing that. So it's, it's, it's a lot of that is happening. And, and, and you, the good thing about it, though, and I know you asked about challenges, but transitioning now into some of the good things that come with that is um, you start to think more big picture. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. you, start to, you start to think more about the business as a whole versus um, performing as a team. And those are two different things, honestly. And, and the way I usually describe it is, you know, I, I tell them uh, the, when I do my new hire visits, uh, which I still do to this day, to uh, give them as much as wisdom or as much as experience that I have to them early on. I, I talk to them about um, how, how it really is about the big picture and not about one person or one team. And the analogy I use there is um, think about it like as a basketball team. You know, you can have a rock star on your team, which is good, but how relevant is that rock star's performance if the team is losing game after game after game? The answer is it's irrelevant, especially when you know we want to win a championship. Then definitely in that context, it's even more irrelevant because we can't win a championship if we don't win as a team. And I think at the director level, you start understanding that concept much more because yes, you want to win a championship, which is a long-term thinking plan. It's not just short-term thinking and you're thinking long-term and, and, it, and, and that's the analogy I use because it's, that is so true. And when people start, well, more people start thinking that way, then we, we can create a successful business, not just a team, but a successful business because now you have individuals understanding the concept that it's not about me. It's not about my team. It's about how do we collectively win? Because ultimately we want to win a championship and, and we can't do that if we have a few teams here that do good or a few people that do good there. So, so, and again, in that role, start seeing that more vividly because you're responsible now for all of those things or aspects of the business. And you can't get away with one of your teams is doing good now. Uh, it's not going to matter. It needs to be the, the, the collective and the entire site and, and everyone under that umbrella needs to be doing good for you to kind of get that overall good rating uh, when they want to know if, the, if you know, your site is good or not, or your team is good or not. So that's, that's what comes up in my mind. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. It, it makes me think about certainly as an agent uh, and, and you see this a lot with, with team leaders, those frontline supervisors, right. That they can become very competitive right and we want to win uh depending on the the program you're supporting or the way you've got things structured there may also be incentives right for um different levels of performance but the really strong performing organizations also cross-pollinate what's successful throughout those teams so yeah i want you to compete with this team that's right next to you. But I also want you to share what's working with them so that we play on even more of a level field, right? It makes that competition um, even more exciting instead of someone hoarding all of the, the, you know, the secret sauce that they found that, you know, hey, this makes it work. And so that's, that's really interesting insight that, that you just shared. No, I think uh, and you're absolutely right. And, and one, of the thing, one of the ways to look at it, again, and you talk about kind of the transition to now taking on multiple teams, it's, it's, it's really long. The difference is also long-term thinking. And, and one of the things I tell my team quite often is it's not about the destination, it's about the journey. And, and, and what I mean by that is, is that really 
don't let the destination motivate you. Let the journey motivate you. Because if you love what you do, the goals happen. The destination, you reach it. You know, but, yeah. but really being more in the moment and doing things uh, in a way that's genuine, in a way that the people are learning around you. Uh, I have seen people who focus more on the destination, reach, uh, focus more on the journey, reach the destination, than people who constantly focus on the destination and the finish line never really make it. You know, so, yeah. so again, at the, at the directed level, that's even more real and more true. And then I see that uh, kind of the differences between the teams that way too. Yeah, that's awesome. So I know at one point in time, you were really thinking about getting into real estate. Are you still thinking about that or has your career progression kind of tempered that? Yeah, that's a good question. I, and I believe it has. Uh, I, I actually haven't given that a lot of thought, but <laughs> I, as you asked and I'm thinking about it, I do think it has. Um, and, and, and honestly, <coughs> since, since then, also a lot of other things happened where my interest level has changed as well. But real estate is probably always going to be something that's dear to me, um, so something I, I still want to learn more about and potentially get into um, doing things uh, with the knowledge that I have about it. But it, it probably has slowed that down, uh, focusing more on my career. And then, of course, having multiple kids that yeah. probably is going to slow you down naturally to a certain degree, honestly. So that, and then some other passions I have developed over the last couple of years that I spent time with something like, for example, coin collecting, I got into that and okay. that's kind of uh, could be addic addicting. So got to be careful with that, but I've spent quite enough time, I think, and still, and, and then I, I got a lot into uh, astrophysics and quantum physics, really learning and studying a, a lot around those subjects for the last two years now. So, you know, when I think about all of that, yeah, probably put the real estate thing a little bit in the, in the back burner slightly, I'm sure. So, yeah. This is the guy that struggled in school. I just want to remind everyone of that. It's uh, yeah. not too late. <laughs> yeah, 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 definitely. He's, he's getting into astrophysics now. Right. Yeah, yeah. It's never too late. Yeah, uh, yeah. Absolutely. I really yeah. love that. As someone who uh, has uh, some collections myself, I understand how uh, that can, one, take time, and, and two, take some, some of your pocketbook. Uh, <laughs> yes. I can show you a couple of things I have if you're interested. I'm looking at it. Yeah, I have absolutely. Some things. Let, me, let me see. One second. Let's Let's do something unusual here. Let's see. These are the first couple of things that, that I see here. So I'll just show you, show you what I have. So these were graded coins. Uh, this is like, a, I'm, I don't know how familiar you are with, with coins, but this is a Morgan, Morgan dollar. Yeah. Morgan it's a, dollar, yeah. It's, it's a San Francisco mint, which really means it's a proof, which, which means it wasn't intended for circulation. But... I guess sometimes people needed money and they start using it in circulation and then it gets into, into the hands of collectors like me, right? Who, who are looking at that stuff, right? And then I have this here, uh, which is uh, a quarter. Uh, we call it the, the West, uh, West Point Mint Mark Quarter, which is a rare quarter. Only 1% of quarters minted in 2019 and 2020, I believe, were minted with the West, West Mint um, Mint Mark which is West Point Mint Mark, 
which makes it super rare just for that reason, because it's only 1% out of all the quarters in that year that was minted, which again, uh, I, I hunt those down. I have actually almost 65 of them now. Uh, they're not all graded. I, I've graded a couple, but I have a lot of them. And, and um, two, only 2 million were minted. Now you might think that's a lot, 2 million. Well, from 200 million though. So right. then, it, then it's not a lot, right? So yeah, yeah this, is, this is, let me not get started because yeah, then I'm going to keep going about that. But that's, that's uh, something I love now. And that's been for the last year and a half now, not long, but uh, definitely time consuming. I'll say that. Yeah, I get it. You know, when <laughs> I worked in the convenience store when I was in college, I would always keep a little bit of cash on me to exchange out of the drawer when someone would pay <laughs> yeah. for with something that I was like, oh, I want that. People would pay with silver certificates. They would pay wow. with like silver quarters or silver dimes. Like you could pick up a lot of interesting stuff. I think uh, once I got a $20 bill that was from the 30s that was in really great shape. <laughs> like, oh, wow. Nice. It's amazing yeah. what people will um, pay with sometimes when either yeah. they 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 just, right, they need something uh, or they're yeah. just not, you know, they're not really aware. Into that. Yeah. yeah. And, and also for some people, it just doesn't have value, right? Like they might even be aware that the quarter they have is valuable, but they're just thinking, I, I don't really care or about 25 that. cents. That's the value. Yeah. <laughs> but, but for any of your listeners, I'll tell them if you have a quarter in your pocket, check it out. Now, if it's pre 1964 or, or pre 65, so 1964 and before they're silver, um, they're 90% silver, um, worth about at least eight, $9, but it could be more if it's in good condition. So check your pocket change. <laughs> Yeah, and the easiest way to tell, for those that don't know, is look at the edge of the quarter. Yes. So if you don't see Absolutely. kind of that copper color, and yeah. instead it's just all silver all the way uh, down and, the edge, then and 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 even even when you like have a quarter uh, from let's say 1970 or whatever, and you drop it, it has a different sound than the one that has that silver. You can clearly hear the difference uh, when you when you do that. So yeah. Yeah, yes, yes. I didn't expect that we were going to talk about coin collecting yes. today, but I'm very there we go. excited. <laughs> this is this is how we roll on Next NQ. So you ended up back in Florida. Yes. So yeah. now you're <coughs> in Jacksonville. So how did that yes. come about? Um, so we we had some um, changes that we were making in the organization the acquisition of concentrics happened with converges and all the fun stuff. Um, and so uh, part of that whole cycle was also um, for me to look for a, a new place as well as part of that strategy. And, and of course it, it would have been a good opportunity for me because um, the idea was that, that it was going to be a larger site, which means, you know, more responsibility, but also more exposure, more experience that that, that would bring. And so, uh, and Jacksonville being one of the larger sites we have currently in the region uh, was really a good opportunity for me. There were, there were several other uh, opportunities at the time, but definitely um, I should say maybe my wife made the decision more than I did, but uh, <laughs> she, she, she loved the idea of coming back to Florida. So, uh, so we did, right. So that's kind of how that, uh, how, how, how that came about. This was, I think 2020 in, in May somewhere, May or June. 
of 2020, uh, right in the middle of the crazy pandemic. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. So what was that like? Um, because I imagine, right, you're, you're moving to a new site, which involves so many things, right? Uh, meeting a bunch of new people, potentially, you know, learning new, new programs that you're supporting, new clients, what have you. And then you're also dealing with this um, global pandemic with so many unknowns, uh, oh, yes. particularly in early 2020. So, so tell me what that was like. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, we've talked a little bit about my journey. So, I think it's clear that I'm I'm uh, almost motivated by uncharted territories and, and and going into crazy situations. So, this this was really again uh, one of them. And and um, this was also around the time in, in March of 2020 before I even made the right round right around before I made the move. My dad passed away. I had to fly back home, unfortunately, and and do the funeral and, and all that. This was back in the in the motherland. I had to go back to Turkey, which which was a long flight, I should say. Um, so this was all happening all at once, and it was just you know um, energy draining. I wasn't maybe in the best headspace, you know, not uh, for obvious reasons. And so, yeah, the transition wasn't easy. This one kind of took, I, I would think, a little toll on me more mentally, obviously not physically, but mentally because of what was going on personally. So it was a little difficult, to be quite honest. And um, we, 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 we made it. Um, and, you know, I, I remember when we moved, we, we moved a little early because we had to go house hunting and all of that stuff. Um, so we stayed in a hotel with really no, uh, it was not a hotel. It was like more of an apartment, but we're not going to buy any furniture and, 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 you know, it's only for a month. So had like a mattress on the ground, wife is pregnant, have a, you know, it's, it's just like all of the elements that would make someone go crazy was probably present at that time to be quite honest. So, um, but I think given all of that did good. And, and honestly, this is, you know, when I tell people, you know, I can adapt pretty quick. Uh, sometimes they might think, well, everyone says that, you know, but I really mean that when I say that and, and a lot of the moments in my life, you know, and, and the one I described just now is, is really kind of a, you know, maybe in a sense proof of that, because those are not moments that you know, it's easily to, to be maneuvered. It, it's, it's really hard. And, um, and, and even, I don't know if I've told you before, but um, you know, when I talk about adapting and learning, you know, I, I learned English watching the freshmen of Bel Air. That's a true story. <laughs> that's, that's a true story you know because in, in belgium we, we speak dutch and french we don't really speak english that was literally something i picked on watching tv as a kid of course i watched a bunch of other shows and listened to music which all helped my english i'm sure but i'm saying fresh prince because that was my favorite show uh probably a little controversial now with will smith and everything so maybe but that's my truth i mean that's really how i learned so yeah. i deny that but um but yeah so so when it comes to like really adapting and and, and, and learning and then maneuvering certain situations that might really be seen as impossible for a lot has really kind of been my storyline. And, um, and I really bring that to work. I bring that to um, the organization that I serve and, and, and take that with me and uh, in any type of difficult situations, because my main job right now as a director is really, it's a couple of components, but a couple that come in my mind is problem solving and people, you know, that those are kind of the, the main two things uh, where I need to be an expert in, and, and that requires being adaptable. That requires maneuvering certain tough situations sometimes or tough conversations and things like that. So, so yeah, it's a long answer for your short question, but uh, there you go. <laughs> yeah. 
I gotta ask. <laughs> in addition to English, did you did you learn the Carlton dance? Uh, you have to, have to. Yes, <laughs> it's not on you. You walk to it. No, not anymore. Yeah, I, I I think I still remember the theme song too of a freshman. Let me see. Uh, uh, let me see. Give me one second. Let me think about this. If I if I get started, I'm gonna know all the other. I'm gonna know what's in West Philadelphia. So yeah, born and raised, where the playground, spending my most of my days, chilling out, nice and outside of the school, and a couple of guys, they were up no good, started making trouble in my neighborhood. I got in one little fight, and my mom got scared. She said, "You're moving with your auntie, and uncle, and Bel Air." See, I still. Yeah. That's, that's yeah. how much I watched that. That's how much I watched that. Yeah. 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 Oh, that was maybe the best moment in next in queue history i am hey. i'm not 100 percent certain <laughs> but i don't really know where we can go from there because that's that's just amazing it was fantastic <laughs> um <laughs> man i have had so much fun talking to you and learning more about you and your journey I really appreciate you taking the time to to meet with us today. Uh, the pleasure is mine. I, I appreciate you for, uh, you know, for interacting with me um, and and uh, inviting me to the show. Hopefully, we can do this some, sometime again. 